Hey guys, and welcome to season two, episode 10 of Couch in the Mind, clearing the mind one couch talk at a time. On today's episode, I've got Todd Morgan, National Programs Manager of Outside the Locker Room, joining me today to go over the topic of disbelief. How's it going, brother? Going good, mate. I am absolutely keen to be here, which is after a day of getting tattooed, mate, uh, and getting <laughs> a semicolon tattooed on my thumb. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one, to be honest. What sort of tattoo did you get, mate? Uh, I had a few on my leg that I finally got filled in and I'm the worst at getting tattooed. So I struggled through that, but I got the semicolon, which is like a universal mental health sign tattooed on nice. my thumb. So I was pretty happy with that one to get that one straight away and then sit there for seven hours just in pain. Mate, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, worried about that too much. I, I've got a little, little tattoo on my, um, on my bicep here and, um, I'm not good with nails at all. And, um, I haven't told many people this, but uh, after the tattoo, they, they were going through like the, um, obviously they got to, they got to tell you like, if, if you get a bad reaction and whatnot, they've just got to, you know, outline it just in case anything were to happen. And as, as they're outlining all these um, possible negative reactions, I, I tell them that I've got to sit down on the chair because I'm starting to feel dizzy. And then I wake up the, to one of the tattoo artists um, trying to feed me a cookie. <laughs> Mate, it, it happens. I was sitting there today and I'm lucky my tattooist uh, really puts up with me, which is nice. And she, she knows what I'm like. But we got through a full day for the first time with her, which was good. So I'm that's pretty it. excited tonight. But uh, no, mate, I'm super excited to be talking to you. That's, that's for sure. Thanks, mate. Yeah, so the reason why I call the topic disbelief is pretty much when I heard about outside the locker room, um, Jake Edwards, which is the CEO, obviously, you know him fairly well, um, I would assume. Um, I heard his story of, of how he, um, you know, always dreamt of playing AFL. Um, and he, fortunately enough, got to that stage and played only five games. But unfortunately, um, you know, was delisted. And, and the story is about, you know, dreaming or, or having this idea of working in, in this occupation or your dream job and you put everything into it. And sometimes, unfortunately, it just doesn't go plan, as planned. So that's the reason why I call it disbelief, because I would assume that, you know, there were moments where he was sitting back in disbelief, um, not, not, not realizing how this happened, why it happened. And, and, you know, ultimately putting so much into, to, to becoming an AFL player, just didn't turn out the way uh, ultimately he wanted to turn out to. So I guess where I want to start is maybe even if you want to share your own personal story of struggle or, or the origins of outside the locker room, you can, you can start wherever you want, mate. And I'll ask questions along the way, pretty much. No, nah, easy, mate. It's uh, disbelief's probably a really good one because uh, I'll probably start with exactly what you said, mate, with Jake being delisted after five games. And as we're sort of talking out in the build-up to this, it's that, you know, disbelief of your, you know, you're out of your dream, your childhood dream, and you're coming back into it. And I'm not going to talk for Jacob how he went through that, but yeah. You know, the conversations that I've had with him and, and something you brought up before, which was really uh, important and really interesting, was that transition back into normal life, finding a job and um, understanding that what you've just done for the last three years, uh, it's, it's hard to transition back into. And Jake and I have spoken about that at length before. And um, having family members that have been service members and known people that have been in the army, um, that you find that that's one of their biggest challenges is coming back into yeah. just normal civilian life. So it's that disbelief of I'm usually up at 0600. I'm told what to do, what to eat, where to go. 
That's the same with AFL footballers. Um, and then if you actually transfer that over to local level, where all, you know, most footballers or netballers, both men and women, uh, or any sports person from the age of probably six, you've been playing this sport. So Tuesday, Thursday night, you're training, Saturday, exactly. you're going to games. Uh, and that's taken away either by family or by work or by injury for a lot of people. And it's a, it's a disbelieving thing to go, well, what do I do with my Tuesdays now? And what do I do with my Saturdays? And all I want to be is involved in that community. And now I'm no longer involved in that. Um, I feel removed because I'm not on the training track. I'm not on the court. I'm not doing what I've known since I was six. Uh, And it's a, yeah, mate, disbelief is a really, really big thing to talk about, especially when talking about mental health and especially when talking about sport. And Uh, I think it, I think in terms of sport too, because, because it becomes a part of your routine and very much what you said, it might come down to, to injury being delisted as a professional player, but because you're so used to every Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon going and kicking the footy and, and, you know, getting around your teammates not being able to have the ability to do that. It's, it's very strange. It's very much like if you're, if you're someone who's very into going to the gym and you're quite consistent in that process, the moment you kind of stop and, and something kind of, you know, jumps in front of the track of you being able to do that, it all becomes a bit, you know, everything becomes a bit cloudy and and you don't really know what to do with yourself. And I guess it's a matter of having a bit of a plan B and a bit of a backup to allow yourself to, to overcome these, um, you know, unexpected hurdles. And that's, I think, the big thing with professional athletes nowadays is there's a big push from as soon as they're drafted or they get picked up to really find a backup and that plan B or that plan C, go to uni, do a TAFE course, whatever it may be while they're playing. And mate, going on the gym one there, it's why you're looking at record sales last year, especially in Victoria, where I am around gym mm. equipment, that people were trying to get gym equipment at home because yeah. they missed that routine and they missed that lifestyle through COVID. Mate, disbelief can sort of come from anywhere, losing your job. Um, you know, in my situation, it's losing mates, but, uh, you know, through suicide and through other means. And you can't understand what that's like for, I guess, myself. But I look at it and go, well, what's that like for their direct family or their direct partners? And waking up every morning and knowing your son or your brother or your sister or your mum or your dad is, is now gone out of this world, whether it was by... Uh, by suicide or whether it was by some other tragedy and that that disbelief yeah. is going to stick around for the rest of their lives um, and understanding well the routine that I was in maybe making that phone call every day after work at five o'clock to just check in and see how they are that that doesn't happen anymore and you potentially have done that for 20 30 or 40 years so yeah it's a big thing to think about and and especially if if you have lost mates uh, to suicide you're there constantly second guessing yourself. I mean, you're in utter just disbelief of the situation at hand. And yeah, you, you, you kind of wish that maybe you could have spoken to them in a different way or um, spoken about a specific subject, which is kind of somewhat deemed touchy um, in terms of like your own emotions and whatnot. And, and yeah, you're always constantly second guessing yourself. But I guess what I might ask you before we go into the, um, the origins of outside the locker room is what do you think we need to do um, as guys and girls to, to remove that, I guess, obviously there'll be disbelief with everything we do, but in terms of being there for people, um, whether they're struggling or not, what do we need to, to be more aware of or what we should be doing more of 
to to be able to remove you know them remove them from being in such a negative stage yeah i think it's it's something we touch on every day with the outside the locker room and um, us as facilitators what we call welfare champions that work for us in the community and one of the big messages we really put out there is being open and direct and, and opening up that channel of communication, um, especially nowadays where we think we're overly connected all the time with social media and with phones. But what a lot of people don't do a lot of is just those random messages to people in the morning and go, hey, how you going? So if you wake up in the morning and send five or 10 messages to five or 10 different people every day, you're opening up a conversation with those people just around, hey, how you going? What's planned for your day? And that's that could be a big thing rather than, hey, what are you doing on the weekend so we can go out or can you come and paint my fence? You're not messaging for a reason. Mm. It's for no reason whatsoever. And one of the big things we really talk about when starting a conversation with someone is that just walk up to them and say, hello, how you going? is one really easy way to do it. Or we're all in their car, especially stuck in traffic at five o'clock in the afternoon if you're working a nine to five or, uh, so just getting on the phone and your half an hour travels on the way home and making as many phone calls as you can to the people you wanna check up on and just go, hey, how was your day? And that starts a conversation. It can be the difference between someone going to bed that night going, I had a good conversation with someone and someone cares or going to bed that night going, I spoke to the people I work with, but I haven't spoken to anyone else since. So there's that big discrepancy there. And what that then comes out with is you just start a conversation and there could be little intricacies inside that conversation, that five or 10 minutes where you go, something seems a little bit off or they're going really well, but maybe I'll ask them about this next time. And that it's a conversation start. And what you'll find is the person that you've called or the people that you've messaged, they'll start doing it back to you. So you've sent out 10 messages, you're probably going to get 10 messages back. And that's where we really need to start to, I guess, remove ourselves from thinking that we're connected just because we can see someone's photo on Instagram or we see a status on Facebook. Where was the meaningful conversation with that person? Um, through a text message is still fine and through a phone call is probably better. And obviously then face-to-face and hanging out for half an hour. But don't always just assume because you saw one person's photo off oh, I know that person. Well, do you? When was the last time you had a meaningful five-minute conversation with them? And that's going to open up just an avenue of ways to stay connected. Well, a lot of people are very good at, at putting on their like a fake front or a fake face per se, and and we don't really know what's going on, you know, within their own life, personal life. Um, and it's all about, like you said, if 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 you just reach out to them and see how they're going it can make a world of a difference to them and it's an everlasting effect. And, and through that, they might actually go and reach out to someone else that they know may be struggling and so on and so forth. So there's never going to be a negative for doing it. It's, it's only pure positivity. The only negative you're going to get is probably like, why you message me for? Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little bit drunk and you message the wrong person, you get back yeah. to you, that's going to be probably a bad time. You picked up someone's number while you're out one night. <laughs> uh, but there's never really a negative. It's just always like, what are you messaging for? It's going to be surprised more than it's going to be a negative. Where Where is this come from? Why are you doing it? When you explain you're not doing it for any reason, you just literally want to know how that person's going. That's going to hit them by surprise even more. But it's going to bring a smile to their face that you're not going to see, especially through a text message or on a phone call. But it's gonna bring a smile, that's for sure. Yeah, and whether or not they're they're um, 
expecting a message and they take that message well or whatever regardless the um the lasting effect will like you said will put a smile on their face that's it so yeah in terms of the origins of outside the locker room obviously i've briefly gone over jake edwards story when did this uh you know we call it a non-for-profit charity yeah, so non-for-profit, uh, we, we started, Jake started this back in 2016. Um, the easiest way to find out Jake's story in lots of detail, and am I allowed to plug a different podcast on here, mate? Yeah, go for it, mate. Beautiful. Uh, it's the Howie game. So obviously one of the original ones, uh, episode 16, you'll find in sort of probably the most detail that Jake's probably given on a podcast that I've ever heard him do. Um, easiest way to find out there. We started back in 2016 after Jake had gone through his own journey around mental health and drug and alcohol abuse, which he's quite open with. Um, and it was from that, as you said, mate, what do, what do I do? You know, what sort of job am I going to do? Does he go and go back into the family business of plumbing or does he start a, an organization and going out and telling his story that can potentially change, change lives and, and save lives. Uh, so he did that in 2016 and, was doing it by himself for two years until 2018. There was a 60 minute story and you can find that on YouTube. Just type in Jake Edwards, 60 minutes. Um, and from that story, uh, outside the locker room basically grew into, I guess what it is today, mate. There was people who contacted him from WA where we've got a, a good stronghold in terms of our program over there. And uh, we had great people from Queensland who got involved and took our program up into that state as well. And, uh, there was uh, myself and another guy that jumped on board after that 60 minute story. And we went from oh, 18 months ago, having four employees. So we've got 15 employees now around four different States in Australia. So, you know, we've sort of really grown. We've worked with over 400 and oh, sorry, we've worked over with over 250 sporting clubs and schools across the nation. Wow. Um, and since August last year, we've been in front of just over five and a half thousand people. So yeah, coming out of COVID, really a, a good understanding and a big push in, in terms of mental health, obviously. Yeah. Um, but to be in that position already just from August last year um, and having Victoria and Queensland and New South Wales still in lockdowns um, and not having gone through a, a proper sporting season yet, they're, they're pretty encouraging numbers to know that our education and our support is going in front of so many people. And I'm super intrigued to see what the numbers are going to be by August, the end of this year in 2021, which I think could potentially be triple if we keep going the way we're going. Well, I reckon it would be, yeah, pretty close to that. I mean, you know, especially as of last year with COVID, obviously numbers would have been down. Um, and in terms of helping out, you know, sporting teams and going to schools and whatnot and, um, and helping them out in regards to mental health, I did read your mission and you were saying that, well, on the page is saying that, um, you know, you guys are delivering welfare and education programs that build both collective and individual mental health and well-being within our communities. What do you mean by that? So like when you're saying mental health and well-being, like specifically, what are you trying to target out that you want, um, I guess, to better within today's society? It's a good question. So we, our first session we always run at any sporting club, school organisation is always mental health. Uh, but we also touch on different social issues. So we look at drugs and alcohol and gambling and probably the two sort of ones mm. that are having a, a lasting negative effect on the community. 
Um, but other sessions that we look at is mental well-being and lifestyle. So what that looks at is um, positive coping strategies that people can use. So you're looking at things like grounding, journaling, meditation, uh, mindfulness. But even inside that, you know, a well-being and lifestyle is going to footy training or going to your sporting training or going for a walk with a friend and having that conversation or, you know, taking the dogs for a walk with your parents just so you can have that little catch up. We also touch on inclusion and respect. So looking at including in your community that you've got there around different backgrounds, different cultures, different language, different sporting abilities. So looking at all abilities, um, disabilities and including them into your community um, as well as respect. So a really big point that I heard when one of our sessions was uh, an AFLW side was starting at a local club and one of the girls in the, in the side said, uh, hey guys, you know, we understand that you used to go from the showers to your bag with no towel on. Do you mind putting a towel on? And I thought that was just something so simple, yet a really big respect thing for them as a club. Um, and the other session we look at, mate, is leadership and culture. So really touching on, you know, what are the values for that specific club on and off the field, um, as well as looking at, you know, how to properly give peer feedback. So you know, if you need to give feedback to someone in a constructive way, what's the right way to do that? So it's not just mm. focusing on mental health, but it's also combining the whole community together to look at how can we better grow ourselves uh, and not just looking at just your committee and your coaches, but also looking at what is the players' involvement? What do they think um, yeah. should be involved with this as well? So that's sort of is the collective. And then individually, all our sporting clubs and schools are able to be a part of our welfare support program. Uh, and that's run by trained counsellors and psychologists. So if they're looking for a referral, so we're not the actual counselling service, we're the referral base. Um, so if someone comes through and says, I live in uh, Brisbane in Queensland, um, we can help them to the services that are in their area that best suit their needs. So if they're going through drug and alcohol problem or challenge, sorry, uh, we'll help them with that. If they're going through a gambling challenge, we'll point them in the right direction. And a lot of people don't yeah. know where to start. So we point them in the right direction. And a lot of people don't know you can go to your GP, get 10 counseling and or psychology services that are, um, what am I trying? What's the word here? Look, funded. And you can get them for free as long as you go get a, a care plan from your GP and have that conversation. So it's a big one. A lot of people don't know. And that's it. Unless you, you pose the question and go and find, find out what's available for you. You don't really know, you know, what's out there. And, and like you said, just going to see a GP takes one appointment. It might, I think it's, you know, might be $40, $50 for the appointment. And then through that, you can get about 10 free sessions. And through that 10 free sessions, you can learn, you know, a whole lot about yourself and why you're feeling, you know, these particular, you know, symptoms and why you're feeling like, you know, this negative state of mind. Uh, but going back onto the, the line of drugs and alcohol, I find that, and it, this I'm changing up a little bit in terms of sporting clubs as a whole. Some sporting clubs are w very well known to get on the piss and take drugs and, um, you know, talk about women in a bad regard and, all, all this sort of stuff. And I think you, you're kind of touching base on that as well. Like it's it's not just the outside community being aware of what you should and shouldn't be doing and, and watch out for, for doing taking this and that. It's also within the club itself because I've, you know, being at sporting clubs myself, it, it stems from the bottom. And 
and you look up to the top and if they're doing it, you just kind of follow and repeat what that process. And I think if we can kind of tackle that and um, prevent, you know, the younger grades from jumping on board and, and then starting to do drugs and alcohol and, and talk about women in a certain way or, or, you know, saying racist remarks to the opposition or whatnot, then ultimately the club's going to be better in the long run. Yeah, that's right. And I think over the last couple of years, we've seen a really big switch into um, to a positive switch towards that being better. So that respect base that's coming out from clubs around the country is definitely moving in the right direction and definitely seeing that what used to happen in the olden days, which was train and then have four or five beers afterwards or and then drive home. You, you can't do that anymore. Uh, and it's a really about sort of bringing in that culture to the club around what's expected for the older group, which, as you said, is going to filter down into the younger group. And well, I guess one of the, the big changes is definitely for those, those clubs that are having sort of AFLW and have got netball clubs that are, mm-hmm. are linked to it. You do see that the respect is definitely a lot higher around that, that female side of things. And not to say that clubs that don't have that, don't have that respect because there's a lot of good clubs out there, but it does go a long way to providing that education and, and bringing back in that inclusivity of, of that, that community too for that sporting club but i have to say from from my experience a lot of clubs and a lot of communities are really moving down a more positive path with a lot of those things and understanding that Mm. where they probably usually used to make most of their money over the bar um that they still want to make a little bit of money over the bar but understanding that they that can't be their sole source anymore and and Mm. finding different sponsorships and different avenues to provide the funds that are needed to run a local club which is which is super high sometimes. Um, but understanding, yeah, that they are a local club is a role model for the younger generation coming through. And I think that's a good positive move. And the reason why I state that, you know, you've got to get it right for the, with the younger grades, because ultimately it's a, it's an everlasting effect because as they get older, then the, the younger grades below them will kind of follow, follow on with, with that, that sort of process is, is because a lot of guys and a lot of women, they, they have a tendency of taking on board what they learn in, in the sporting environment out into the real world. And in, if, you're, if you're prone to being told to, you know, step on the opposition's throat and you're very violent type, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, once you're, you know, intoxicated and, and on the influence of something in the outside world, you could potentially start, a, you know, an altercation with someone. Um, and I guess it's just about knowing knowing your limits and knowing your boundaries between, I guess, playing sport and not, and when not playing sport. Yeah. I think uh, the clubs that we especially see and deal with, and I think this would be a lot of clubs in any sport are really a lot more stringent with who they get on as coaches. Um, and which obviously it starts at the coach and, and they're the role model. And you're right. Obviously if you're being told on the footy field when you're 16 years old playing seniors to, to do this and do that, you're going to think that that's the right way of doing things both on and off the field. Uh, but there is, as I said, there's a good positive shift towards, you know, a more detailed interview process for a lot of clubs around, well, what specific culture do we want to have? Uh, and I think for a lot of sporting clubs now, it's about, you know, having um, engagement with the community and having people involved in their clubs. So they're going to want a club that's going to involve everyone and not just the good thing now, which is that minority of drinking, drugs, partying, violence. 
that's a big minority now and it's it's getting less and less and less which is fantastic yeah exactly and since and since uh the origins of outside the locker room have you have you had anyone in, in any um you know people whether they be anonymous or not that have reached out to you and and have said you know what sort of positive impact that uh, this organization has had on them yeah it's a, it's a good one mate um so jake definitely has a lot of people that have gone through the program and, and reached out to him directly and there's a lot of our facilitators around the country so we've got about just under 60 facilitators around the country and they come back with very positive support um, and positive feedback around that, you know, our program got them to actually reach out and, you know, speak to someone or reach out to their club. And one direct one that I can remember, and it's funny, we're talking about the drugs and alcohol thing made is a coach in which I presented at throughout. So we always run two sessions. Yep. Um, he came up at the second session and he went, mate, after the first session you did, I used to sink six beers a night on the way home from work. Wow. Uh, and then he would get home and drink close to a slab. And he said, since you spoke to me, he goes, I haven't had a beer that's from a Monday to a Friday. So he's had a couple of beers on the weekends after mm. footy or, you know, with his mates. But he goes, during the week, I haven't had a beer. And he goes, I've had feedback around um, from the younger players that, I'm a lot more involved. I'm a lot more, um, you know, approachable and those sorts of things, which is great. But to steal a line from one of our facilitators, mate, it's, uh, I'm going to steal his. It's that um, we're probably changing lives and we'll never know it. And that's a beautiful thing. So the amount of, you know, people that we're in front of, they might only take one little thing out of that, which is, you know, I shouldn't pop a pill on the weekend or I shouldn't, you know, get, I shouldn't binge drink or I shouldn't, uh, bottle up all my feelings. We're never really going to know too much of that unless we go back out to each individual person. But those one or two stories that we do get, they definitely give us the fuel and the fire to know that we're doing doing the right thing and, you know, potentially saving, saving some lives um, and, you know, changing perspectives of what's right and what's wrong and, and what are other alternatives to what people are doing. That's awesome, man. And, and like you said, there's probably many, many people you're, you're, you know, ultimately helping them get through such a negative time that they won't actually reach out. So I would, you know, I would think there'd be thousands of people that'd be, you know, you would have changed their lives in some way. Uh, you mate, with this podcast, you would have done yeah. it with your, with all the episodes that you've already done. The, yeah. the listeners that you've got, you know, there'll be definitely people out there listening and going, Thanks, I needed that today. Um, and they might not reach out to you, but you've definitely made a positive influence. And that's what it's all about, mate. You know, like some people wonder why I put so much time into this. And ultimately, you know, I, I work full time, much like we all do. And, and that does show up, you know, much of our Monday to Friday um, time. And why I do it is because, you know, there's, there, there's that possibility that there could be one person listening in and, and through that, they might be able to find a bit of relatability out of something that I may be saying. And that's all that matters, man, because, you know, we all struggle at some point in some stage in our life. So why not try to minimize that struggle and, and try to find ways to cope through that, that tough time? That's it, mate. And going back to the point of this whole podcast around disbelief is that we all struggle at times and mm. people would rather hear and be disbelief, in disbelief around what you're telling them rather mm. than them be in disbelief of what potentially could happen, whether that's you exactly. spiral out of control with your mental health and, and it ultimately leads to a suicide or you become addicted to drugs or alcohol or um, your life spirals into 
whatever it may be that what it's not now. Um, so people would rather be disbelief and see, help, help you seek that support from that disbelief from what you're telling them rather than find out years or months later that you could have opened up earlier. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, cause I'm assuming you're pretty comfortable talking about this stuff now. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy about it as well. Like anyone can ask me anything, but it's about getting to a stage where you, you feel it, you know, you're vulnerable enough to share anything that may be possibly on your mind. And once you get through that stage, everything, I mean, it's easy to say that everything's a breeze because it's not really, but in terms of opening up and sharing things that maybe, you know, getting the better of you, it becomes so much easier. That's right. And I think one of the big factors that a lot of people don't understand is that they, you always want to look for certain people to be able to cert, share certain things with. So what you can share with your mom, there might be good things that you can share with your dad. And it's about having that good support network. Exactly. One friend that you can share one thing with may not be the friend that you can share another one with. So you might be picking your battles of who to share it with, but still share it with everyone as much yeah. as you possibly can. Um, you might not go into as much detail, but you can at least share a little bit, which then open up the conversation. You might learn something about them and go, oh, that thing I was going to share with my other mate, I know I can now share it with you and I didn't think I could. So just just start little and then let it grow. Exactly right. You know, you got to always start somewhere and, and you know, um, it could be three or four months down the track or a couple of years. That process is going to be so much easier to where you, where you first started off. But I guess... Um, in terms of outside the locker room, how do people jump on board with, with these programs? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so there's a few different ways you can do it. Head to our website if you're wanting to be involved. So um, you can express the interest of having your club, school or workplace involved with OTLR um, and having our program run at your, at your organization. Uh, the easiest way to do it is online at our website. Uh, the other way of doing it too, mate, is if, uh, someone is qualified as a counsellor or psychologist or a social worker, you can become involved as what's called a welfare champion. So in all of our really? sessions, yeah, is a welfare support person. Um, so if someone is needing that support there and then on the night, that's what that those uh, our team members do in, in that situation. Um, and there's also the other side of it, which is a facilitator, which is the people that um, head out and run the program with support from that, what, what we call the welfare champions. Uh, there's no formal training needed for that, but you need to obviously be the right fit for OTLR um, and to uh, put you in your interest for those two roles. Uh, you can head to the website as well and express your interest there. Um, and outside of that, mate, is fundraising and donating. We're a non-for-profit. Uh, we live off donations and, and the charity of others so that we can still go out and, and support those communities that definitely need it. And We've got amazing funding going, our fundraisers going on literally right now. Today, um, someone's riding around Victoria, uh, going further than the Tour de France over 13 days to raise money for outside the locker room. And it doesn't have to be that big. It can be as small as a couple yeah. of ladies sold cupcakes at a local school fete, you know, and, and donated the money. And yeah, any any sort of five ten dollars, it go, it goes a long way. It all adds up. So they're they're the ways to be involved. The only other way to be involved is share any of our posts from social media, share them on yours, and you know join in the conversation. That's yeah. that's the biggest thing. And 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 you know obviously hearing people going to the extent of of writing further than than someone one would you know do it in France or or 
like you said, being as simple as making a cupcake and, and sell them to raise awareness for, for outside the locker room. It must be so good knowing that you've had such a positive impact on this world. And ultimately there's, there's got to be so many more charities like, like outside the locker room out there, because if there were more people like yourself and like Jake out there, and I know there are others that there are others out there and some people are afraid to, to, you know, to be able to get to the next stage of doing something about it, just do it. Like, because the more, the more we do something, the more like we'll be able to shift this world and ultimately create it, you know, create a better, better world to live in. And, and ultimately being able to speak about these sort of things, will become second nature, like, you know, putting Vegemite on toast. Mate, what we're looking for, and I guess the big thing of when I started working with Jake, I asked him, you know, are you are we working with other charities? And he said yes. And there there are a lot of other charities out there. There's a lot of other people that are spreading that message of awareness. If you're thinking of doing it, just do it. Because if we can have 7.7 billion people spreading awareness about mm. mental health, that means everyone's talking about it. And it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world. It can be a, an Instagram post every day for your 400 followers that you may have, or you might have 401,000 followers and you're sharing a lots of different charities posts. And you know, that's, that's what you're after because in 10 years time, mate, I don't want to be doing this. I want to have known that the education has gone out there and yep. next generation coming through, know what services to go to and know what supports out there. And they talk to each other so that outside the locker room no longer exists. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. And it all become second nature. It won't, it won't be something that you go and ask your parents about to make sure that, that this is deemed an acceptable thing to be doing and talking about. Yeah. But is there anything else that you might want to be, uh, potentially touch base on before we wrap this episode up? No, I think mate, just going back to what you said around disbelief and just reiterating what I said before is that you'd rather have the disbelief of telling someone what you're going through. Um, and then being disbelief of hearing that story, whether it's you've lost your job and now you don't know what to do with your life or um, as Jake did, he came out of football or a sporting background and, you know, open up because those things are difficult. I've gone through a season of injury and, and it was tough. Um, if you're coming out of anything, a relationship, uh, you've lost a parent, um, you'd rather have the disbelief of telling someone and watching their reaction and having them be in disbelief of what you're saying rather than getting a phone call at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Monday to say that someone's unfortunately passed away via suicide and having that disbelief that you've got to live with for the rest of your life. So for a small amount of disbelief that could take 5, 10, yeah. 15 minutes, it's better than a lifetime. Exactly. And very much what you said and that there's probably two different types of disbelief. And you, you, want, to be on, you want to be aware, I guess, you don't want to be on the the receiving end of the the negative disbelief in terms of you know hearing the news that a mate of yours committed suicide. You want to be able to you know be told something that at first it might be you know might seem a little bit strange, but that disbelief is is deemed to be understandable after you know a few days or a couple of weeks because then you now fully truly know what they're going through. That's it, mate. Spot on. Thanks so much, Todd, for joining me on this episode, brother. Really appreciate it. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, mate, anytime. I mean, anytime. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate anyone who takes up their time to be able to speak about this sort of stuff because ultimately if we can make a change in this world, then it's all worth giving up. Brilliant, mate. Thank you.
Thanks, mate. This has been episode 10 of Couch in the Mind, Clearing the Mind, One Couch Talk at a Time. And today I had Todd Morgan from outside the locker room join me and talk about the topic of disbelief. Thanks, guys. And as always, message me if you need anything and have a great rest of the weekend.